I want to talk to you today about hospitality. Hospitality. Now, the way I believe that we're used to talking about this idea of hospitality is to talk about making our space or our lives attractive so that other people, when they come into our lives, feel comfortable, right? That's, if you're a good hostess or a host, you have created an atmosphere of hospitality around you. I don't think that's the only kind of hospitality that the Bible is talking about. I want you to remember that in this sermon series, months-long sermon series, what we are all about is tracking the disciples from the day that Jesus met them by the, the water, most of them, some of them in a tax booth, Philip under a tree, but most of them, Jesus came up to them and he called to them and he said, come and follow me. Now, if you follow Jesus, that means you're a disciple because that's what a disciple is, somebody who follows Jesus. They didn't automatically believe in Jesus. And so we're talking about what does it mean from the moment you decide to follow to the moment that you give your life to Christ, and what are you supposed to do after that? Well, hospitality comes into play after you have originally followed, after you have decided to give your life, and you're thinking about, now, what do I do with this life that Christ has given me? What do I do as a follower of Jesus Christ? Um, if we're going to talk about what it means to originally follow Jesus, then we're talking about what it means to be open to Jesus. We, we're talking about, where do you find out about Jesus? Well, certainly, you listen to somebody that's going to speak or preach or teach about Jesus. There's all kinds of places you can do that, online, in churches, with friends, all kinds of places you can be open to hearing about Jesus Christ. Or you pray and you're open to what Jesus is trying to say to you. That's a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We want to, after we hear Christ, be obedient. Amen? Yeah. Once we know what Jesus is asking us to do, if he's calling you to give your life to him, you should be obedient and you should do that. If he's calling you to do something in his name, you should be obedient. But you got to know what he's calling you to do. You need to know what you're hearing. So open and obedient. We have to worship. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We worship. Worship is nothing more than showing God that he's worthy of your praise. And that's what we do. It's why we sing songs. It's why we attend. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you learn to be generous in Jesus' name. In other words, you learn to give of yourself. Not just your money, your life who you are. We're generous in the name of Christ as, as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're counting up on your fingers... We're coming close to that sixth number. We are servants if we are followers of Jesus Christ. One of the things he tells us to do, you will serve others. That's different than generosity. That's different than generosity. Generosity is something you might just give. Service is something you do for other people. Ultimately, I want to talk about hospitality today because that's one of the six there. And I want to talk about hospitality in this way, and I'm going to give you a story that sets all this up, and then I'm going to give you another story that backs all of this up from Scripture. But I want to make sure that we understand that when I talk about hospitality today, I'm not denying that a part of hospitality is 
As we say up on our sign that we have up there sometimes, we invite, we grow, we serve. We want to create an inviting place. And so it's important for us to have music that is inviting. It's important for us to have an atmosphere that is inviting. It's important for us to have coffee uh, so that you feel welcome when you come into the church. All those things are important, and it's a part of hospitality. But can I tell you that I believe hospitality goes beyond inviting people into your place. Hospitality also includes you going into other people's lives. That's hospitality as well. Are you open to other people? Are you open to relationships with other people? Or are you closed off? is the only place that that you are hospitable. If somebody will come into your world, if somebody will come and get to know you, if somebody will will, uh, become concerned enough that they decide your space is important enough for them to get to know. I'm thankful that God didn't feel that way. I'm thankful that God didn't say to the world... I'm important enough that you just need to find your way to me. Because if he would have waited for us to find our way back to him, it never would have happened. You see, he didn't do that. It tells us in the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, in in the scripture that I shared with you in your bulletin today, but I'm going to go back before that. Jesus says, I proceeded, the 42nd verse of the 8th chapter, Jesus makes this statement. He says, I proceeded forth, I came from God. I proceeded forth from God. I haven't come of myself, but He sent me. In other words, God did not just prepare heaven and prepare a place that if we made it there... We would be okay. He prepared the place and then he left that place and came to get us. So a part of hospitality, a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is that we leave the place that we have prepared and we go to other people. We are sent. And that is one of the things it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means we do pay attention to what God has given us, either in our own lives or in the life of the church. Maybe you own a business and maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your friendships. You have created a place that is yours. Now the question of hospitality becomes, what are you going to do with that? Are you just going to wait that if somebody can discover this great gift that you have, you'll share it with them? You see, here's what I believe about life. One of the things, I believe lots of things and lots of them are wrong. I don't think this one is. I think this one's right. Change happens in relationships. If somebody's life is going to be changed, they're going to have to be in relationship with somebody besides themselves. Because generally speaking, we pretty much think we've got life figured out. 
And pretty much, we in life are sure that what we have figured out is the right way to do things. And we're never going to change unless somebody comes into relationship with us that thinks differently than we do. Now, let's be honest. Some things about your life shouldn't change. So just because somebody comes into relationship with you doesn't mean you automatically change. But the truth is the same. We will not change unless relationships change. So hospitality is huge for the church. It's huge for followers of Jesus Christ, I believe. If we are truly going to live out the Matthew 28 call, go into the world and make disciples for Jesus Christ. And if we're going to live out the mission of the United Methodist Church, the purpose of making disciples for Jesus Christ is to transform those lives, is to help those lives change in the name of Christ. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to get in relationship with people because it's through relationship that we fundamentally have the opportunity to change lives. Jesus knew this. God knew this, which is why he left heaven, came down to earth, and got into relationship with us. It's why he had to come in human form. Now, he said all this in John 8, 42, and John recorded that for us because he had just been having a conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you've heard this preached before. You've heard this preached before, but I'm going to share the story with you again because I want to give it some clarity for you. It's a story that you know very, very well. If you haven't been in the church very long, if you're a new follower of, of Jesus Christ, if you haven't made a decision as to whether or not uh, He's going to be your Lord and Savior, maybe you haven't heard the story yet, but chances are most of you have heard this story. But here's the story. Jesus goes into the temple. Now, that's really, really important for this story because most people who have heard the story of John 8 don't know that and, and they misunderstand this story. Jesus goes back into the temple, and he's going to be teaching. The Pharisees, those are the religious leaders of the day, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. And so what do they do on this particular day? They bring a woman who has been caught in adultery. Where do they bring her? Into the treasury. Now, let's talk about the temple for a second. Remember, you got the Holy of Holies. Nobody gets to go in there except the high priest once a year. All right? Off limits. you got the court that's outside of the Holy of Holies that the priests get to go into. Outside of that, you've got the court that the men get to go into. Outside of that, you got the court that the women get to go into. And outside of that, you got the court that everybody, children and everybody can come into. And this is the place that they have the money tables set up. Makes sense, right? Because churches want your money, right? So the most accessible place in the church is the place that you can bring your money to the church because everybody can come into the treasury of the temple. All right? Makes perfect sense. All right? Just mirrors the church of today. Thank you for laughing at that because we don't want to be that church today, right? Everybody can come into the treasury. Everybody is in the treasury. You know why everybody's in the treasury? The treasury is where you come and you bring your money. And you know that in that day, 
in order to be forgiven of your sin, you had to bring an animal to the priest, right? You didn't get to bring your money and drop it in an offering plate. We did not develop that in the church till hundreds of years later where you could just come and write a check and the priest would absolve you of all your sins, all right? In this day and age, you actually had to have a middleman between that. You had to have the guy that brought the little doves or the lamb or whatever it was. You see, if you had a big sin, it took a lamb. If you had a little sin, it had a dove. And if you couldn't afford the big lamb, you were in trouble. All right? Don't sin too great if you can't afford to pay for it. (laughs) This was the place in the temple that you brought and you changed your money. Remember, these are called money changers. You changed your money into an animal. And then you went in to where the priests were and you offered your animal. Now, here's the dirty little secret of the day. They had already done away with blood sacrifices by this point when Jesus was alive. They were no longer cutting animals in half. They were no longer sprinkling blood on people. So here's the dirty little secret. This is one of the things that made Jesus so mad. They they had a system going where they would buy their little dove and they'd bring it in and hand it to the priest and the priest would do all his things and you would be absolved of your sin and, and you'd go for it. Then he took it back out there, he put it in a little door and they took it back out and put it in the cage and sold it to the next guy. Uh-huh, there's a racket, guys. You see, it's into this treasury that Jesus is going to come one of these days and he's going to grab the tables and he's just going to throw them up on their ends. And he's going to say, how dare you turn the house of God into this? But not this day. This day, he has gone back into the treasury. I just want to give you where this story actually happened because most of us, when we've heard this story preached, thinks that it happened somewhere out on a, on a street somewhere in Jerusalem And they just found Jesus there and they brought him. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery into the, get the irony of this, into the very place where you had to bring your money to buy an animal that would serve as the sin offering for you. Wow. That's the place they brought this woman caught in adultery. And they challenged Jesus and they said, you know what's supposed to happen to this woman. She's supposed to die. And they all picked up stones. And you know what Jesus did in this story? Well, maybe you don't. He, he got down and he kind of wrote on the ground. And everybody's always interested in what he wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote on the ground. What I do know is this. In the very place that everybody came... Hear me on this. To acknowledge they had sinned. That's what the treasury of the church was. The place that you had to bring your money at the very least and buy an offering and by, the virtue, by virtue of the fact that you bought that offering, you were saying, I have sinned. That's the place they dared to bring a woman that they had caught in sin to challenge Jesus on what they should do with this woman. And you know Jesus' response. Let you, who have come into the house of God, why? 
because we all know that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, let you, he says, who are without sin, fine. You cast that stone. And you know their response to that. You're standing in the middle of the treasury. You're looking around. Are you a Pharisee? Are you, are you the religious leader that is really going to look at all of the people gathered around you, money half out of their pockets to buy that dove? And you hear Jesus say, those of you who without sin cast the first stone, and they're, that congregation member's looking at the preacher, seeing if he's going to throw that stone, because you're really going to tell me, preacher, that you don't have any sin? See, that money might just go back in my pocket because I might, as a preacher, have just shown you that this is all just a farce. But you see, it's not a farce. We all do have sin. And Jesus was bringing that right up to the top in the one place that nobody could argue with. And so what do they do? They drop their stones, they walk away. And of course, what does Jesus do? You know the end of that story. He walks down, he looks at the woman, and he says, who's accusing you? Now, you see, here's the other thing that I think a lot of people believe. They think that those Pharisees just walked away. They didn't. They, they left the drama. They left what was happening in that moment. But they didn't leave the treasury. Nobody left. And so everybody hears, as Jesus says to this woman, if nobody's here to judge you, then I don't either. Go and sin no more. I want you to hear something else. And people don't connect this to that story. But if you have your Bibles or you have your devices and you have John 8 pulled up, I want to take you to verse 15. Because immediately the Pharisees challenge Jesus. The woman leaves. At least I guess she leaves. She may just go out into the outer crowd that's there in the treasury. And the Pharisees begin to argue with Jesus. By what authority do you do these things? And Jesus is essentially saying... I am my authority. And they said, you can't do that. For you to have authority, you have to have a witness. And Jesus is going to say, God is my witness. And he can do that because he is God. <laughs> but listen to what Jesus says to him after they challenge his authority. I want you to look at the 15th verse of the 8th chapter. You judge according to the flesh. Do you see four words that Jesus says following that? You judge according to the flesh. You brought this woman in here and you judged her. You judge according to the flesh. Four words that Jesus says here. How many of you believe that when you die and you go to heaven that you're going to be judged by Jesus? Let me give you these four words from Jesus. I judge no one. Can I give you some good news? When you go to heaven and you have to stand in the judgment because Scripture clearly says that it is appointed once for man to die and after that there will be a judgment. 
We can't escape a judgment, folks. There is a judgment on our lives. Like it or don't like it, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I can be kicked out of the ministry and it, it won't change the fact that all of us are going to die and all of us are going to stand in some type of judgment before our Creator. But can I tell you who's not going to be your judge? Jesus is not going to be your judge. The Father is the judge. When we die and we stand before the throne of God, our Creator is our judge. Do you know what the good news is for me? When I step before that judgment seat, I know this simple truth. I have failed the examination. This thing that we call life, <laughs> I failed. All right, just put an F on my paper. This is a pass-fail exam that we live in. This is not if you scored 90%. This is not even if you can score 51%. It's a pass-fail. And there's only been one that has passed. And that is Jesus Christ. Here's the good news for us. When we stand before the judgment throne of God... If we have called upon the name of Jesus Christ, as we stand before the Father, Jesus stands with us. And Jesus says this to the Father. I know. But He's mine. That's what it means to be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. It means that you don't stand before the Father. It means Jesus stands before the Father in your place. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, what does this have to do with hospitality? This has to do with hospitality because God came into the world that whoever would believe in Him but would not perish, right? John three sixteen, but have everlasting life. For he didn't come into the world to condemn it. I do not judge. He came into the world that the world through him might be saved. That's hospitality. That is using the relationship that you have formed in this world, Jesus Christ coming into the world, forming a relationship with Tim Allemeyer. For what purpose? To save me. Now, I can't save anybody in this world. But that doesn't mean that the relationships that I form in this world cannot fundamentally help transform other people's lives. What are you going to do with your relationships? Here's the way Paul did it. Remember, I told you I was going to tell you the story that set the stage. Now I'm going to tell you the story that shows how it's lived out. Do you remember Paul? The disciple Paul. Biggest church planter that we've ever seen in the church. In 1 Corinthians, let me take you to it because I'll read it to you. In 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse 19... Paul is going to say this about his relationships in the world. 
He said, though I am free from all men. Do you know what he means by that? I don't have to be in relationship with anybody that I don't want to be. I am free from all men. You don't have to marry. You are free to not marry in the United States of America. You are, you are free to, to end your marriage. You do not have to be friends with anybody. You do not have to work for anybody. You do not have to eat anywhere that you don't want to eat. You don't have to live anywhere that you don't want to live. Paul says, I am free from all men. I have free choice in my life. Listen to what he says, though. But I have made myself a servant to all that I might win them. To the Jews I became a Jew that I might win Jews who are under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, those who are without the law, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Hospitality means that you willingly enter somebody else's world. You enter into relationship where somebody else is. Do you remember Jesus? Went and ate with sinners. Do you remember Jesus? Went and sat even in the houses of the Pharisees. You see, the, the marginalized people look at him in the house of the rich and, and say, well, gee, he must not be my Savior. He must not be my Messiah. He's eating with the rich. He's in the houses of the poor, and the rich are saying, well, gee, he must not be... Paul says, I become all things to all men. Why? Because Paul is living out the relationship that Christ had with the world. Hospitality. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you willingly, in freedom, enter into some type of relationship with somebody, somewhere, somehow, to fundamentally help transform that life in the name of Jesus Christ. Now... We can, we can preach all day about how we do that. But can I tell you the one pitfall? Can I tell you the place that you are absolutely going to get hammered? If you do that before you have been open and obedient to Christ, if you think that you are ready to form a relationship with somebody and tell them all about Jesus Christ, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen to you. If you are not fundamentally solid in your faith, if you don't know what it is you believe, they are going to convince you that their way was the right way. Yeah? Happens all the time. We send our young people off to college, don't we, Sarah? And they are not fundamentally grounded yet in everything that it means. And before you know it, the college life has sucked them into that life rather than us pulling others into the Christian life, yeah? This happens to adults, too. You're an adult, and, and you're a young follower of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden we, we live in a culture that is hypersensitive to all kinds of things, and, and you get that passion in you that you want to share Jesus Christ, and you go out there, and you have, you have these four words that I just gave you this morning. I do not judge Boy, what can you do with those four words in a culture? You could, con you, the, the culture could absolutely convince you in a hurry. Well, God doesn't judge. 
You say Jesus is God, yes. By the way, if you want to have the, the argument about the Trinity, come to Men's Breakfast Tuesday morning or Bible Study Wednesday night. Jimmy and I are arguing about this every single week. But Tim, you said that God was one. Jesus is God, right? Yes. God is Jesus, right? Yes. Jesus just said, I do not judge, right? Yes. One and one makes two. God does not judge. Brothers and sisters, if you go into the world, you see Paul was equipped and ready for hospitality, to be able to go into the world and rightly divide the truth. And so can we be. At different stages and different levels. What I'm talking about is that you fundamentally have a responsibility as a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ to move out of just a place that you have made hospitable for others to come into, into lives that actually reach into other people's lives and try to help transform those lives, try to help make a difference in those lives. But brothers and sisters, if you're going to reach an alcoholic with a disease of alcoholism in their life, and you're going to go into the bar, and you already have tendencies towards that yourself, do you understand? They're just as apt to cause you to start drinking again as you are to bring them out of it. I'm just giving you the pitfall of what it means to be hospitable in the name of Christ. Be very, very careful as you enter into relationships with people. Jesus was, by the Pharisees, time and time again, they tried to pull him back under the law. They tried to pull him back and have his influence reserved for just what they thought was right. And time and time again, Jesus reminded them, I didn't come from you. I came from God. We come from Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, hospitality as followers of you is so important. It is the place where we are sent. It is the place, Lord, where we form relationships with people that do not know you or people that used to know you and have become marginalized or people that just need sometimes just a life that cares about them. And so, Lord, may we take seriously your call to be sent. But Lord, may we do it with fear and trembling, firmly grounded and rooted in your word. For Lord, we want to bring people into a saving relationship with you. Not ourselves, not the church, but with you. This I pray in your name. Amen. Please stand. I'd love to leave you with a blessing. I pray the Lord would bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. I pray that the Lord would lift up his countenance upon you. And as always, I pray God would give you peace. God is good. All the time. And all the time. Go in peace. God bless everybody.